You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Why don't you stay standing out of reverence for the Lord this morning and bow with me as I uh, pray and continue worshiping through prayer. God, if there's anything in this life that's worth screaming and yelling and giving ourselves for, it's the worship of your most glorious name. God, you are so awesome to us. We don't deserve anything you've given us. We don't deserve salvation, Lord. We don't deserve the church family you've blessed us with. We don't deserve the health that we enjoy and the possessions that we have. God, you've given us so much. How can we ever thank you, Lord, for the fact you've given us the Holy Spirit to live within us? You've given us your word to guide us every step of the way, God, and and again, your spirit to help us live it out. How can we ever thank you, God? We can't. And so instead, oh God, we just open up our vocal cords and we throw our hands up in the air and we worship you with all that we have. And God, as we continue to worship you now through the studying and understanding of your scripture and the application of your scripture, God, I pray that you'd bless our time together. God, I pray that you'd protect us in this moment for we know that the enemy wants to come and kill and steal and destroy, God, but you've come to give us life and give it abundantly as we hear your word and understand it and apply it. So God, would you keep the enemy at bay? And instead, oh God, open up every heart here to see and to hear and to comprehend and to live out the amazing truths of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We mean it so imperfectly, God, but we love you. And we thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to take a seat this morning and go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, continuing with the one another's. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, put your hand up. And if you've been with us, you know the routine. Uh, we have ushers coming down the aisles to give you a Bible and take it home with you. Uh, read it. I pray that you as uh, regular attenders are reading your Bibles daily and not just coming and saving your Bible for church Sunday. Hopefully you're not dusting it off every Sunday. Come like, God, it's Sunday. Hopefully you're reading it and getting into it. This is how we're changed and transformed by the living God through his word. And so we hold it high in our church, and I'm not trying to give you anything this morning other than what God's Word says, because this is where it's all at. This is what matters most. And so Ephesians chapter 4, today we're going to hit one of the most famous one another's, and one with the potential to unleash the deepest gospel impact in all of our lives. Here it is. Forgive one another. Forgive one another. So powerful is this truth that even the world buys into this message. A lot of the things we say as Christians, we're like, get, get that out of here, forgive one another. Man, there's, you type in forgive one another, there's more uh, tweets and blogs and Christian devotionals on this than anything else, uh, partly because it's so powerful both in our lives and through our lives, and the world even sees it. If we can learn to forgive each other, brothers and sisters, the world sees the living God alive. But the reality is, is that we live in a world that is far from perfect, sinful to say the least, painful even at the best of times. And so as we live the glorious truth of Jesus, the reality is the sinful world we live in is that we all intentionally and unintentionally hurt others. And we all are hurt by others often leaving us this predicament, are we going to huddle into a ball and go into self-protection mode and build up all these defenses around us so no one else hurts us again? Or are we going to exercise what Jesus told us to exercise, this whole idea of, of living and forgiving others as Christ has forgiven me? Maybe in this past week, you've lived some of this out. I know there's a week that doesn't go by that I'm not tempted with this idea that I'm not going to forgive you today. But, but think about it. This world we live in, and, and even in our homes, we try so hard to love each other, and yet then there's miscommunication. And there's misunderstanding. And there's even mistreatment. And the physical things that are done to us, I'm astounded. Turn on the news, and you're like, wow, people do that to each other? Even in my office in our church, like, wow, the hurt. It's unbearable sometimes. Not not even the physical hurt, the emotional things that we bear. Painful. So I'm not trivializing pain this morning at all. I get it. It's real. I live it. I breathe it. 
It's overwhelming sometimes. But even in the midst of our misunderstandings and miscommunication and mistreatment, the most horrible mistreatment that we've ever endured, here's what God calls us to, brothers and sisters. He calls us to forgive. And he calls us to be forgiven. It's an easy message to hear when you're on the side of needing to be forgiven, isn't it? Whole different ballgame when you're on the side of need to uh, forgive. You know, as Christians, this is how we embody the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we reveal to the world the life-changing power of the cross. As we not just accept this, but now we give it. Here's what Ephesians 4, verses 30 to 32 say. Here's what the word of God says in this. We've been studying the one another's, and here's where, here's where it gets a little maybe harder to, to, to digest. But listen to the words of God, and this is for our good, and this is for God's glory. Don't forget, everything God's given us is for our good and for his glory. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be done with those things in Jesus' name. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That whole last phrase is really what the whole thing is about. It's about forgiving each other. Forgiving each other is so much more biblical than simply saying I'm sorry and hoping we can shove it under the carpet. Forgiving each other is, is truly releasing each other from any consequence, any, any retribution of anything they've ever done to you. It's like a pardon, like a criminal who's, who's clearly guilty, but yet they get that pardon in their hand and say, you know what? Whatever you've done, we've forgotten. We're ripping it up and you can go on like it never, ever happened. That's true biblical forgiveness. This is what Jesus Christ calls us to as followers of him. Before we get to the forgiveness part, I want you to understand first, I think it's right in the text, the, the consequences and the, 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 the realities of unforgiveness in our hearts. Again, I think we get to these messages sometimes, we're like, oh, brother, pastor, give me something I haven't ever heard before. Like, I know I'm supposed to forgive each other. And yet we conjure up all these little excuses in our brains, don't we? I know God says to forgive, but really, like, no one else does it, so why should I? No one really lives that out anymore. It's just a concept in the Bible. Or I, I know I should forgive, but do you have any idea what I've been through over the past X amount of time? Or I know God calls me to forgive, but I just think it's impossible. I just can't do it. And, and I think we live with that reality as believers. We live with those excuses more often than we embrace this one another of forgive one another. So let me help you understand the, the seriousness of this and the, and the significance of it. I think we see it right here in verse 30. Why should I even entertain the thought of forgiving today? Because look what it says in verse 30. Do not grieve this Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get this, brothers and sisters. Unforgiveness grieves the Spirit of God. The God that we're worshiping, unforgiveness grieves that same God. says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? It means that the Holy Spirit that's living within us is not some impersonal force like the wind or, or some, some unseen power. The person that lives within us that we've been given upon salvation that God has sealed us with. That, that How can you know you're for sure saved? You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He lives within us and he is a real person carrying all the characteristics and the qualities of God. And one of the characters and qualities of God is that he can feel, he has emotions, and, and this is saying that when we choose to live with unforgiveness and, and the sin that comes with it, all those things that you see there, all these things that you see here, the, 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 the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor and the slander and the malice, all these things come with unforgiveness. And so what grieves the spirit of God? Hearts that hold on to sin. Hearts that let unforgiveness remain and unforgiveness even reign in our lives. This grieves the spirit of God. This should cause us to sit up and take notice. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I used to somehow take some intrinsic joy about making my parents mad. Remember those things? And you'd you, you be in those little moments and you'd, you know what buttons to push. And when they get mad and blow their tops, deep down inside, it'd be like, you know, please, please don't kill me, dad, because he could. But deep down inside, there's this little sense of like, ha ha, I'm in control now. That's how evil we are, isn't it? But I still remember so, I remember many of those times for sure. 
I was a stubborn little rascal, we'll say. I remember those times. You know the, the impactful times I remember those? Is, is when you'd be in those moments and, and you, you'd be getting it and you know you're winning and all of a sudden your mom would just stop and just start to cry. Remember those? <laughs> Even my tough old dad, I remember sometimes that I drove him to such the brink that he just stopped before he truly actually did slaughter me. You see his little lips start quivering and then he'd lose it. Not like lose it, he'd lose it. You know what that would do to me every time? That would like cut to the core of my heart. Like all that anger you have would just be, remember those times, you, you ever done that? Maybe I'm the worst kid here, the worst person here, I don't know. You guys ever do that? You guys ever seen that? Remember what happened? It would stop you dead in your tracks and you'd think like, oh my goodness, what in the world am I doing? Before that conversation was over, you'd be crying too, right? And you'd be saying, sorry, I had no idea how this was affecting you. I'll tell you that because this is what unforgiveness and all that comes with it. You know, should we care about this sermon? Of course we do, because if we don't care about this sermon, we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. It's not a small issue to God, this whole idea of unforgiveness and forgiveness. Why does it grieve the spirit of God so much? Well, I, I couldn't even get past this. I was going to study this this week. I was just going to get to the forgive one another part, right? Because that's the part we want to hear, the forgive one another part. But I couldn't get past this whole grieving God part. I got stuck there. My heart was, was, was drawn to, so why does it grieve God so much when we have unforgiveness in our, in our hearts? Here's a couple of reasons why it grieves God so much. Number one, unforgiveness drives a wedge between God and myself. Unforgiveness truly draws, drives a wedge between God and myself. Just like in my home, I'm a parent, right? And when my, when my kids aren't getting along and when they're not forgiving each other and getting along, it just messes everything up, including my relationship with my kids. You're like, don't, don't give me hugs right now. I need you to go make things right with your brother and sister. Then you can come and give me hugs. Something more important right now that is gonna actually allow us to have a real true hug. God says the same thing in different words in Matthew chapter five, verses 21 to 26. Remember that passage? He's talking to the, the, the people, the, 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 the people, and he says, you know what? In the Old Testament, it used to be don't murder. Now it's even different than that. It's just like, don't even be angry with your brother and definitely don't call your brother or sister fool. You're in danger of going to hell for that. And then the next few verses, he says, you know, when you're at the... This is how important relationships are to God. When you're at the altar and you go to give your gift at the altar and you remember, I think by the spirit of God, like, hey, well, something's up. You remember that someone has something against you. Don't follow through with the gift at the altar. What do you do? What do you do? Go and make it right first. Go and forgive and be forgiven. Then come back and then you can truly give a truly heartfelt offering that I will love and accept. In other words, you're not right with everybody else. You're not going to be right with me. You, know, you can save your flowery prayers and your, and your, and your you know, heartfelt worship and your daily devotionals and, the, and all the things you do. Like Those are important. Don't get me wrong. Those are a real part of our lives. But if you're not right with everybody else, those mean to God not a whole lot. It affects our relationship with God, and, and sometimes I think that, that we as believers, we, we, we do a lot of things really well. We do a lot of things really well, and, and some of us come up against it, and we're like, man, I, I'm doing everything I know what to do, and I'm loving the Lord, and I'm, I'm doing all these things, but there's just, there's just a block. I just can't seem to get past. There's, there's something that's, that's hindering my relationship with God. Maybe it's unforgiveness in your heart. So you've been offering all the, doing all the right things, and God's like, yeah, but you're missing something, the unforgiveness that remains. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us that unforgiveness and sin leads to the quenching of the spirit in us. It's a forfeiture of power and the blessing of God. It's, you know, unforgiveness is like throwing a, a, a big bucket of water on that little flame of passion for Christ. Unforgiveness drives a wedge between myself and God. Here's what unforgiveness also does. It destroys myself and those that I love. Why is God so grieved by unforgiveness? First of all, it puts a little gap between me and God. Second of all, it destroys myself. And it destroys those around me that I love. Here's what unforgiveness is. It's like that little uh, disease called the white root rot fungus. And what it is, it attaches, attacks healthy plants. And, and, and so it looks good on the outside and it looks all healthy. And all of a sudden under the in, underneath the soil, all this, this, this white rot fungus is attacking the roots of these healthy plants. And before the plant just drops over and dies, you're like, what happened? What happened? Well, maybe it was white rot root fungus. 
That's what unforgiveness is in our hearts. It looks good on the outside, and we all look fantastic, and we all smile right and say all the right things, but inside, no one sees it, but it's attacking the very nature of who we are, and it's not only destroying us, it's destroying those around us. Look at some of these things listed in the text. In Ephesians chapter 4, here's some symptoms of white root rot fungus that we don't always see, that I can't see in you, but the Holy Spirit reveals to you when you got it, that you won't ultimately fall over and die, tries to catch it early. Look at some of them. Let all bitterness, bitterness is that smoldering resentment and animosity towards the one who hurt you and maybe even God. Wrath, the uncontrollable rage that breeds hate. All these things come with unforgiveness. These things are just natural byproducts of unforgiveness. You can't say I have unforgiveness and don't have these things. You do. God says so. Wrath, the uncontrollable rage that breeds hate. Anger, that annoying, annoyance and displeasure and hostility towards somebody else. Bubbling anger that makes you feel like you're going to burst. Clamor. Clamor is that loss of control and those outbursts and words or actions. And you, know, you, you clamor to inflict pain on people. Even maybe not outwardly, but subtly you really want to get them. Slander. Those negative words that malign character and reputation. My goal today is to take them down, whether anyone ever realizes it or not. What about malice? Dreaming up all kinds of evil scenarios in which, in which you wish the hammer would fall or you wish that, that you'd have an opportunity to make the hammer fall. All these are because we allow unforgiveness in our hearts. I look at that list, I'm like, wow, that, that'll ruin anybody. But let's not fool ourselves. This doesn't just ruin us, because you know, well, unforgiveness is my issue, not yours, and, and as long as I live on an unforgiveness, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, and let's be honest, you live with these things in your heart, and you know where that's going to spill out onto first? Not the person who you're angry at, but all the people you love the most. Is that not true? Your wife and your kids and your best friends and your coworkers are actually for you, Grieves the heart of God because unforgiveness, read the list again this afternoon, destroys myself and those I love. Here's the last, here's the last reason why it grieves the heart of God. Unforgiveness reveals that I have yet to grasp the gospel. Unforgiveness reveals that I have yet to grasp the gospel. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Jesus tells this amazing parable after he tells uh, the people, forgive, forgive. And, and then someone asks him, well, how many times do I need to forgive? We know that verse, right? How many times, oh God? Like seven? That's like double the Jewish amount, right? The Jewish, Jewish thing was like, like three strikes and you're out. So, you know, we kind of made that even smaller, like fool me once, you know, shame on, burn me once, shame on you. Fool me, burn me twice, shame on me. Well, how many times? Seven? He's like, no, no, 70 times seven. And Jesus goes on to tell this parable. He's like, you know, how many times are you supposed to forgive? Well, let me tell you this little story. It's a made-up story. Let me tell you this little story to help you understand how important your forgiveness is. The story of a king who was a very wealthy king, and he called his servant in, and he called him to give account for the debt that he owed, and he owed a boatload of money, 10,000 talents in the, in the millions for that day. Like in the millions, uh, some think he was a Roman tax collector, so maybe taxes for 11 years from four different provinces. That's a lot of money. Servant's like, I can't do it. And he's like, well then, well, then, you know, throw this guy in jail, sell his wife and kids, and let's be done with this guy. And the servant falls on his face, and he's like, he can never repay this. He knows. He's just like, oh, oh, mighty king, have mercy on me, your servant. The king, in an act of pity and compassion, looks at him and says, you know what? If you choose to, I'm going to choose to forgive you this debt of yours in your moment. Get up, and your debt is forgiven. Can you imagine that being the case? Like, like you hear that story of the, uh, the forest fires down in, in uh, Oregon, Eagle Creek, not a, lot, a couple weeks ago. Kid threw a firecracker in the, in the canyon, burned the whole thing up, like 488,000 hectares, $36 million. The judge ordered him to pay it all back. 15 years old. Impossible, right? This is the same kind of thing. Like, there's no way. Can you imagine being forgiven of that debt? That's massive. This guy, instead of being on top of the world, though, he goes and starts collecting all the debts that other people owed him. The first guy that comes up owes him 100 denarii, and, and that's really like 100 days' worth of work. So, 100, so a third of the year, he owed him that much money, and he's like, can't pay it. He's like, can't pay it. He actually grabs him by the throat, 
throws him in jail until he can pay his debt. And he, again, begs to have mercy. He's like, I'm not having mercy on you. And pays his. Can you imagine that scenario? The other servants see this, go tell the king. The king's like, what? He calls the guy out. He gives him the what for, the, the king that was forgiven, throws him in jail and says, now you're never getting out until you pay the debt because you were so mean and arrogant with everybody else. And then at the end of that passage in Matthew chapter 18, here's what it says. It ends with this in verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This whole scenario that was playing out in Matthew 18 was for us to learn from. Hey, the, the gospel is even bigger than this. God's forgiven you for a far greater debt than millions of dollars. And if you don't choose to forgive other people, like, like just proof that you didn't really understand the gospel in the first place and your lot in life, it's going to be like the unforgiving servant. It's a shocking text. People sometimes think, well, that must be for the unbeliever. It's, it's, not, it's not for the unbeliever. The Lord's Prayer it says the exact same thing at the end of the Lord's Prayer. You forgive, you're going to be forgiven. You don't forgive, don't count on that day getting to heaven and being forgiven. I'm not trying to scare you today. I'm trying to help you see the... Now do you know why it grieves the Spirit of God? <laughs> like it's a grievous thing to God. God takes no joy in these kind of things. He takes no delight in these kind of things. God's delight is to show us grace and for us to hear his word and respond to his word. There's an urgency, there's a necessity in forgiveness. And I think what the text tells us in the whole conglomerate of the text in the Old and New Testament when it comes to forgiveness, it tells us this. This is why God's so passionate about it because when I choose to forgive, I choose Jesus Christ. When I choose to forgive, I choose Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying in the parable of the, the unforgiving servant. That's what he's reminding us of when he's told us all the detriments of, of unforgiveness. That's even his point in telling us the, the story of the, the man at the altar. It's like when you choose forgiveness, you choose God. When you choose forgiveness, you choose the way of Christ, the path of Christ. In essence, we choose Jesus Christ. The whole point of the one another is not to dwell on unforgiveness, but I really, really believe we have to get the full, the full meal deal on this to get the, the full weight of it in our hearts. But the focus of this is on forgiveness. But look at how, again, verses 30 to 32, two-thirds of it's talking about the unforgiveness, really, isn't it? And the last verse really gets to the forgiveness, Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. This is what Jesus wants us to get today. He has to know the, the vast reality of the unforgiveness that's gonna linger, but to really get to the point of this, I see the weight of my unforgiveness. Oh God, I need your grace, I need your help to help me to live out this command to forgive one another in the way that Jesus Christ has forgiven me. That's where the freedom comes. That's where the joy comes from. That's where we begin to actually live out in, a, in, a, in reality, in a life-giving for myself and others way, the gospel of Jesus Christ when I choose to submit myself to God's plan and ask him to help me live out the one another, specifically forgiving one another. I'm gonna flip it around, verse 32, because I think it's, really driving at this. Where do you even start on this whole forgiveness thing? Where do you even start? I know if you're like me, you're like, man, where do you even start on forgiveness? Where, where do I even begin? Uh, all the things you read about, I see them in my heart. I don't, know how, I don't even know how to start moving past those things into a place where I'm kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. Here's the place to start. The last sentence. 
Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We forgive in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You can't start anywhere else. I don't want to start with like, okay, be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving. We can't start there. Where do we start with, with understanding the fullness of the forgiveness of what God has given me in Jesus Christ? That's the beginning point of healing and hope for any kind of forgiveness in your heart and relationships. And so just think about this with me for a moment. When I choose to forgive, I choose Jesus, but Jesus' love compels me to forgive. Jesus' love compels me to forgive. The only place we can start truly forgiving others is when we stop and remember how much Jesus Christ has forgiven me. If any other word is on your mind other than astounding or something along those lines, you've missed it. Think about how much Jesus has forgiven me. We're told to forgive as Christ has forgiven me. When I think of over my life, how much has Jesus forgiven me? Oh my goodness, I'd be ashamed to tell you how much Jesus has forgiven me. It's not a little bit. It's more than I can comprehend. It's more than you can comprehend in your hearts. This is the starting place of any type of forgiveness, first stopping and saying, oh God, how you've forgiven me. Can you imagine if that servant in the parable of the unforgiving servant would just stop for a moment instead of like, oh, I'm forgiven of my debt and now, now how can I clamor for you know, more and stop for a moment and just, just thought about like, what just happened in this moment? I was forgiven a debt that I could never repay. My life was over before this debt was forgiven. That's us in Jesus Christ. We have a debt to God that we cannot pay, the debt of sin. The consequences of that sin is death, eternal punishment for God, from God. But in his mercy, God sent Jesus to pay the debt. He paid the debt. Every last debt you ever had before God, and when it comes to sin, has been paid for by Jesus Christ. And Micah chapter 7 says through Jesus Christ uh, this, Who is a God like you? Oh God, a prayer to God, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again, get that word again, it's not a one-time thing. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Wow. Wow. This is the heart of Jesus for you and I. It's not an angry God waiting for you to mess up so we can squash you. It's not a one-time thing where I forgave you once. Well, now it's been twice. Now it's been three times. Three strikes and guess what? You're out. He keeps giving and giving and giving. Thinking about it in this way this week. What would happen, do you think, if God took the top five snapshots of your worst moments in life, put them into a little video, and put it on the screen for all of us to see. How many of you be looking at the screen? Not this kid. Or if he hands you the DVD, say, pop this in your DVD player. It's the top five moments, worst moments of your life. I wouldn't, I'd be snapping that thing in two. I'd be burying it in the backyard. I'd be trying to get a boat to the sea so I could drop it in the bottom. Yeah, God's forgiven you of all those things. What would happen if God put the top three sins of your life on a billboard along the 406? How many times would you drive by that billboard? Would you find a different way to work every single time? And look the other way when you drove through. But here's the reality. We don't have to worry about those things because God has forgiven us. If we put our faith in Jesus, we repented of our sins, we've been totally forgiven of all of those things. that deserve eternal separation from God Almighty. We've been forgiven. And the principle is, if we've been forgiven in such an astounding way, how can we not then forgive our brothers who maybe have sinned against us in some pretty severe ways, but in no way near the severity of I've sinned against a holy and a perfect and a moral and a just God? How can we not forgive them? Once we see the love of Jesus, once we understand the love of Jesus, he gives us all that we need. And so uh, I love the quote by uh, C.S. Lewis. It says this, uh, for to be a Christian means 
to forgive the inexcusable because the inexcusable has been forgiven in me. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. So where does forgiveness start? It starts there. We don't get that concept. We're never going to, we're never going to forgive anybody. We're going to try hard. Ever tried to forgive someone in your own strength? It's, it's impossible. Time might make it fade, but time can't make me forgive. And even those virtues we see above that in, in verse 32, they all flow from this whole idea of understanding God's love for us. And so be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Where do these come from? How do you even make these happen in your heart? I can't make these happen in my heart. And there's some days where I get wounded and I know what I'm supposed to do and I just can't make it happen. Ever been there? All right, God, I know the truth. I'm gonna be kind, I'm gonna be kind. You see that person? You're like, I'm not gonna be kind for sure if I don't walk the other way right now. Okay, God, I'm gonna be tenderhearted. I'm gonna be tenderhearted. You see them coming, and you're like, there ain't nothing about a tender heart in my soul right now for that person. You can't make it. Here's the reality of the gospel. Once we see the love of Jesus and the fact that, that we've been saved from all of our sins, there's a, there's a response of faith and repentance to that. There's a response of like, God, I can't do it without Jesus. I need Jesus. God comes in in that moment. He takes our heart of stone and gives us a, takes it out and puts a heart of flesh in there. And the heart of flesh, get this, isn't programmed with all those things you saw earlier. All of the, the, the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor and the slander be put away from you. The gospel's already put those away from us. It's like it's in the ocean, those things. But it doesn't just leave us with an empty heart. And here's what Jesus does when he gives us, gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who sealed us on the day of redemption. He puts these things kind to one another in our hearts and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. These all things flow from the love of Jesus Christ. Kindness, the ability to be nice to even those whose face makes you cringe. Maybe you're thinking of that person right now. Kindness, it flows from Jesus Christ in you and out of you. Tenderheartedness, Jesus puts soft spots, one great big one. Your heart is a soft spot for even the person who's been the hardest on you or is the hardest to love. Jesus even puts forgiveness in your hearts in a spiritual way, in a way that you could never manufacture on your own. This is the gospel, not just that I receive. We love the receiving part, right? We love, bring me more, bring me more. Oh, thank you, God, forgive me, forgive me. But he also gives us the capacity to forgive others that the world can't claim. They can have all the quotes out there they want. They can have the tweets, they can have the cool sayings, but they can't do it without Jesus Christ changing our hearts and making forgiveness alive in us. But we can, when we submit ourselves to Jesus, say, God, I want your plan more than my plan. Only Jesus can do this. And so he's not calling us, brothers and sisters, something that he can't do in us and through us. He's calling us to something that he wants us to get to the end of ourselves. You're in a place even right now where you're like, I can't do it. I can't do it, I've tried. You have no idea, you have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor. I have been hurt in the most atrocious ways. I've tried, I can't, I've given up. You're right, I don't know your pain. I'm sure it's bad. I'm sure there's things that I've never experienced before. I'm sure it would blow many of our minds. I feel for you in those moments. Don't wish to be you. But I want to encourage you with this, that you can do this in the power of Jesus Christ. You can be freed from your unforgiveness that is destroying your relationship with God. It's killing you and those around you. You can be free in Jesus Christ if you get on your face and say, God, do this in me. I read a story a number of years ago that I was reminded of this week on forgiveness that never, never ever left me. It's a story about a woman in Minneapolis, and her name was Mary Johnson, and she had one son. His name was Lara Miam Bird. 
And at 16 years old, he went to a house party in 1993 and a little confrontation, kids against kids, and um, one guy pulled out a gun and murdered her only son. Can you imagine how devastating that would be? Shot him dead over a silly little party. The guy who was uh, on the other side of that gun, O'Shea Israel, was also 16 at the time, same age, and he thought, there's no way I'm ever going to get caught for this crime because the code is not to tell anyone. Well, of course, someone always snitches, right? And so the next day, the police came and picked him up, and he got tried and convicted of murder uh, for um, Mrs. Johnson's son. She raised him as a Christian, brought him to church every single day, every single Sunday in his suit. And, and when he got to teenage, though, he went the other direction. And she prayed for him constantly. And then, and then, of course, one day she woke up and he was gone. She was so angry. She was so bitter. She had so much rage in her as she tells her story that there is no way in heaven she thought she could ever forgive both the one who murdered her son and also the mother of the one who did because she thought, how could you raise a boy like that? Ten years into a life of secluding herself and bearing this ungodly burden, she finally realizes, as a Christian, I am commanded to forgive this person. Through her support group, somebody suggested her, why don't you go and forgive the killer of your son and follow Jesus' command that you might be free of this and see what the power of the gospel does. Ten years into it, she reached out to O'Shea, who said, no, I don't want to see you. She kept reaching out. Finally, he said yes. So for three weeks straight, she fasted and prayed for 21 days before she went to meet her son's killer. Got to meet him, opened her mouth to say, I forgive you, and couldn't even get out. She crumpled in a ball of mess of tears, only to find that this guy, who's now you know, a, little more, a little older, a little more, he grabbed her and caught her and held her up, and the whole thing, they just ended up hugging each other for you know, a couple minutes. That encounter turned out to her visiting this man for the next seven years on a consistent basis until he got let out of jail at 17 years. At the time that he got let out of jail, they developed such a bond together that she actually invited, invited her son's killer, O'Shea Israel, to live beside her in the complex she lived in. They share a front porch, and she's adopted this man as her son. Not officially, of course, but in the... You know what I'm saying. Wow. You know why that story's never left me after a few years, right? Astounding. Only how? By seeing the love of Jesus for me and asking God, give me the same love to forgive others. I can't do that. She couldn't do that. Only Jesus can do that. But Jesus can do that in us as we also surrender ourselves to his plan for our lives of forgiveness. Jesus can do this, a 59-year-old woman in Minneapolis, surely he can do this for us. So let me ask you this morning, anyone you need to forgive? I know, it gets quiet, right? Anyone you need to forgive? As I'm preaching, anyone like pounding on your heart, any faces popping into your mind right now that you haven't forgiven. Some might be obvious. Everybody knows you need to forgive them. Some might be obvious. Some might be subtle. Some might even be the things you're carrying from like grade five when that kid was like picked on you for the whole year and you never really actually ever forgave them. And you've been carrying that around. You're now 25 or 35 and you're still dealing with the residual effects of never forgiving that kid from grade five. Might be someone in your small group who unknowingly even betrayed your confidence and offended you and you decided that you're not going to say anything but you're definitely not going to forgive them. You've been carrying that around for, for a couple of years now. Maybe it's even the, the pastor of your, your church. Hopefully not this one. But the pastor of your church and he so wounded you that man, you've been against church and Christians and, and you're coming to church but you're not getting involved because you are so wounded you've never really forgiven him for being a sinner just like you. Maybe it's that parent that abandoned you or maybe didn't abandon you, but they had said words to you as you grew up that you can't forget, and you've never forgiven them for that. I could come up with a hundred what-ifs. You know in your heart, is there anyone in your heart that you need to forgive? Again, I'm not trying to trivialize your pain. It's real. 
it can be overwhelming. I'm not even telling you to forgive and forget because the Bible doesn't say forgive and forget because we'll never forget some of those things. <laughs> right? I'm telling you to follow the heart of God. You might walk in a healthy relationship with God, but you might also walk in a healthy relationship with those around you. Corey Ten Boom, we know of her from the days of Hitler. Went through so much and watched many of her family members get killed by the Germans and many of her good friends. And again, another person, that if, if she can forgive, surely we can forgive. And remember a story about her running into one of the men in church, actually. She was sitting in church and realized that one of the men speaking in church was one of the old uh, SS guards from back in her day that somehow got through it all and stayed at the front of her church speaking. Everything within her didn't want to give him forgiveness. And right after church, so she knew she walked to that man and she put her arms around that man and she said, I know who you are. You don't know who I am, but I just want to tell you I forgive you. She said this, forgiveness is an act of the will. The will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Coming from not a woman who's read a good textbook, a woman who's walked a textbook life on forgiveness. So here it is. I can teach this to you. I can tell you how powerful forgiveness is, but only God can help us forgive. Here's some things that you can do. Again, we're not minimizing this to a four steps of things. We're not doing that. I know it's not a four-step process. Do A, B, C, D, and you'll be set free. That's not the way it goes. Sometimes yeah, it's a process, right? God's a wrestle in our hearts with this, and we have to keep surrendering ourselves. Here's four things you can do out of today, though, that, to get this process going. I just want to leave you the, with a call and just say, well, I'm not, what do you do next? Here's what you can do next. You can start praying hard that God would help you forgive. You can start praying hard for the other person on the other side of this forgiveness that, that God will prepare their hearts for forgiveness. You can start praying hard for God's spirit to do what only God's spirit to, can do in you and the other person. You can't do it without prayer. I love, I love Mrs. Johnson, right? Prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. When was the last time you prayed and fasted over the unforgiveness that still is in your heart? Here's another thing you can do is take initiative. Here's what God calls believers to do every single time. Take the first step. Every single time, take the first step. So often our pride says what? If they come to me, then I'll forgive them. Take the first step. So often our hurts what? I've been hurt so bad. I don't want to be hurt again, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to stand back, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to see. No, God calls us here. Forgive one another. It's actually a call. It's a command. It's a command. It's not an option. a command to take the first step and initiate Initiate forgiveness. Take God at his word and step out in faith. You will see God in your life and in other lives in ways that you will never, ever begin to comprehend. You never, the ways you never thought you could ever comprehend seeing God unless we follow him in forgiveness. No burying it under the carpet. It's been buried too long. It's coming out in all the wrong ways. No burying the, burying the hatchet with the handle still hanging out, what many of us do. Gonna bury the hatchet, but if I need it again, I know where it is, and that handle's just, just perfect. We're done. We're offering forgiveness once and for all by God's grace. How many times? I've told you how many times. 70 times seven. Far too many Christians live by the three-strike model. Far too many Christians by the, live by the burn me once, Shame on you, burn me twice, shame on me. We live by that. Jesus says 70 times seven. How many times is that? Quick math, come on, you guys are good. Quick math. 490 times Jesus says to do it. So that mean we sit back now? We're like, all right, well, this is good, brother, sister. I can put your name at the top of the list, number one. 489. 490. Come on, come on, one more time. 491, woohoo! Don't forget, no, that's not it. He's talking about per day. He's talking about per day. Over and over and over again by the grace and the strength of God. And it's not just to get the monkey off our back. It's actually for this, to pursue reconciliation, to desire reconciliation. Our goal in this is to not like, well, at least I'm done with it. Now you can go your way. I can go my way. 
Our goal in this is not just to, uh, to be right or prove my point that I'm right, you're wrong, like we often do when we say sorry. Our goal in biblical reconciliation and biblical forgiveness is to mend the rip in, let's be honest, both of your hearts. To mend the rip in both of your hearts. I think sometimes when we're hurt, we think we're the only ones. We, don't, we forget that the other person who hurt us is maybe even more hurt than we are. That's why they hurt us in the first place. And they might pretend that they don't have a rift in their heart because of this whole thing that's broken down, but they do. They do. And our goal is to not distance ourselves in self-protection mode, but to go and reunite with God and with them. Reconciliation must be one of the big words in our vocabulary as Christians, especially within the church. Talk about grieving God, hey? Can you imagine God up in heaven watching us worship, knowing that even maybe in this room some of us have things against each other that we have not chosen to forgive each other on? We've never made that stroll across the church or maybe even the stroll to the next seat who's sitting beside you because you drove with them today to make things right. With the idea that we're not going to come together just so we can all have good conscience and then go our separate ways again, but we're going to come together that we can walk together in a God-glorifying way. That the world around us says, wow, the power of the gospel. Wow, the power of Jesus Christ. They talk about him. I don't believe in him, but I'm seeing the fruit of what they're talking about. Reconciliation to reunite, not just with them, but in your heart with the Lord. Last one is this, exercising the gift of forgiveness. Just trust God. Here's what we're called to do in the scriptures. Offer forgiveness be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We're called to do our part. We can't control anybody, anything on anyone else's behalf. When we do this, we're called to trust God. We're called to do this the best way we know how. Remember to forgive us how from the heart and to trust God completely. Sometimes that means things are gonna be restored in ways that you never thought they were gonna be restored. And man, that marriage actually came back together. That friendship that you thought was gone forever, God does something significant and wow, you're now best friends again after all these years or that person you thought you could never ever forgive. Man, the animosity is just like drained from your system and instead love and hope and joy is filled in and, and sometimes God just does those things in powerful ways. I just want to warn you though, sometimes we go to forgive one another, the other person wants nothing to do with us. Still. Maybe we need to be forgiven. And we go to say sorry and they're like, ah, ah, not doing it. Or you go to make things right and, and, and try and forgive them and they're like, I don't even care about you, I don't want your forgiveness. What do we do in that scenario? We go to bed at night Realizing we did everything in our power to honor Jesus, and he's honored by that. When I say trust God, I mean truly trust God. We can't control the outcomes. What can we control? Living out the truth. By the grace of God, for the glory of God. Trust God. Sometimes the relationship will be restored, and God will do the impossible. Sometimes the relationship will never be the same. We don't control that, but what we do control is whether we're going to live out the one another's or not. In the end, all I can do is be faithful and ask God to do the rest. I get it. Forgive one another. Left some heavy ones to the end. I don't tell you this because I want to lay heavy guilt on you. I don't tell you this because I want to leave you leaving this place with this overwhelming sense of like, oh, I stink as a Christian. I can't do it. I tell you this because I, I long to see us all set free by the power of Jesus Christ. I tell you this because this is God's path and God's plan for you. What's God's will for you? I want to know God's will. I want to know God's will. Here's what God's will is. Send that text. Send that email. Pick up the phone. Make the connection. Whatever you have to do through much prayer and much fasting, seeking the Lord to allow Jesus to get you to a place where you are forgiving one another, in the name of Jesus, for the glory of God. We're going to let this just permeate your minds and your hearts uh, this morning. We're going to end a little differently. Usually we jump up and give the Lord a song. Is David somewhere around, hopefully? There we go. There he is. 
And uh, David's just going to come, and, and I'm just going to give you some time to think about this and pray about this. And uh, David's going to come, and he's going to read an old song for us. There's really no tune to this old song, so we can't sing it. And some of the old songs you can't sing anyways. Uh, but the words are powerful, so he's going to read it in the form of a poem. And here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. Just contemplate God's word to you today. And, and sit and let the words of the poem penetrate your heart. Then after David's done, he's going to give you the you are loved, and you're free to go. Get up and be on with your day, glorying in the fact that Jesus has forgiven you and determined to live your life to show his glory to the world around you. But if there's unforgiveness in your heart still, you know it. You know that you shouldn't just be plowing out of here and on with your day. You know you need to get things right with the Lord and then with somebody else. Just let this place be a place where you can just sit quietly. There's gonna be people at the front to pray for you. Come to the front. So often you're intimidated and you're shy. Through the power of prayer, through the blessing of brothers and sisters, that we're broken from some of the things that we need most breaking of. So let this be a place where you just let the word of God permeate your mind and heart. And I'm praying today that God will set us free. God will set us free from unforgiveness to forgiveness that you will be and I'll be worshiping the awesome God with all the fullness of what we're supposed to worship with nothing hindering us. The world will see the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's listen to this and then you're free to, you're free to go. Forgive our sins as we forgive. You taught us, Lord, to pray. But you alone can grant us grace to live the words we say. How can your pardon reach and bless the unforgiving heart that broods on wrongs and will not let old bitterness depart? In blazing light, your cross reveals the truth we dimly knew. How small the debts men owe to us, how great our debt to you. Lord, cleanse the depths within our souls and bid resentment cease. Then reconciled to God and man, our lives will spread your peace. You are loved.